Okay. So today we are, um, if, if you are visiting with us, what we have been doing, uh, we've been going through the whole Bible. We started a couple of years ago. By the way, we planted this church. This is our fifth Sunday. So we're a baby church. Um, before that, we had been going with our, uh, with our mother church. Uh, we had been going through the whole Bible. And we were going to take three years and just walk all the way through the Bible together. Uh, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Where we find ourselves today, we are about two and a half years into that process. We have just finished the book of Acts in the New Testament. And we're starting to walk through uh, the letters of Paul, uh, the Apostle. So we come to Romans today, which is a hugely important book in the New Testament. Uh, even if you're not that familiar with the Bible, you probably know some verses from Romans. Uh, you've heard them along the way, such as uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, uh, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Or uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, and there's probably more. All things work... All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Um, there's, there's a lot of great little one-liners. Unfortunately, the problem with Romans is that it's often been reduced to one-liners. But it's a much more grand book if you look at the whole story of it. So well, what we're going to do today is... So we're going to be in Paul's letters for a while. So I thought it would be good to give an introduction to Paul's letters in general. Uh, kind of how they work, who Paul was. I'm going to talk a little bit about who Paul was, the Apostle Paul. Uh, and then also what his letters are all about. And then we will do a broad overview of Romans. So kind of a, a little bit uh, to get to today. Um, but that's where we are. And I want to start by saying uh, a couple things about Paul, uh, the way he writes his letters. Okay, Romans, first of all, let me, let me just remind you that the order that they are in your Bible is not the chronological order. It's not the order in which they were written. Okay, these are arranged um, from big to small. <laughs> That's how they're put together in your New Testament. They are not arranged according to when they were written. So Romans was sort of written in the middle of all of them. The earliest ones are, are the letters to the Thessalonians. Those are the earliest. And actually, those are some of the earliest documents that we have talking about Christians in general. Uh, they're very early. Uh, but Romans is sort of in the middle. Okay? And Paul, his letters are about the same thing. They're written to different audience, different, different recipients. Okay? But they basically talk about the same thing. Paul was concerned with getting out the message of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Okay? And I'll explain a little bit more about what that meant for his hearers and for Paul himself. But his letters follow a similar pattern. Most of them do. Okay? And that is, he, he begins his letters by explaining the significance of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Okay? Jesus, the, the, the only Son of God, God made flesh, what that means. The implications of that. Okay? And then, at some point in his letter, he will make a turn toward talking about what that means for us. So, what that means for our life is, and a lot of times it's marked out by him saying, therefore, 
And then he'll explain some very practical things about how we ought to live our lives, both as individuals and as a community, as God's church. So Romans is the same. Even though it's the longest of his letters and has the most intricate parts and moving parts and topics that are brought into the discussion, it basically follows that same pattern. Chapters 1 through 11, Paul is writing about the significance of what happened when Christ came, was crucified, and rose from the dead. What does that mean? And then in chapter 12, he says, Therefore, in view of all of this, I urge you to present yourselves as a living sacrifice. Then he goes on to describe certain things that they should do because of the truth that he has just explained. Um, so, and that's how a lot of his letters work. Okay? You can go through. So Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, definitely is like that. Ephesians, absolutely. Ephesians 1 through 3, the significance of Christ crucified, what that means. Four through six, a very practical advice. How to love your wife, how to love your husband, how to raise your children, how to treat one another. Okay, very, very down-to-earth stuff. Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians. And then Paul also has letters that are called the pastoral epistles, the pastoral letters, and those would be First and Second Timothy. Titus and Philemon. So that's the, that's the body of Paul's writing, all the way from Romans to Philemon. So we're going to spend the summer going through Paul's letters. Uh, probably toward the end, we will get into what are called the general letters or the general epistles, and that's First and Second Peter, uh, Jude. What's the other one? James. Okay, and obviously those were written by Peter, James, and Jude. <laughs> Uh, Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Paul. We finished up Acts, so I'm going to have you turn back to Acts 21. Acts 21. I'm going to go to a couple passages where Paul talks about himself. The autobiography of Paul. This is Paul on Paul. Okay. Uh, In Acts 21... So he has gotten into some trouble at Jerusalem. He has made it to Jerusalem. He's in trouble with the Jews in Jerusalem. They are going around saying that, hey, this Paul guy wants to throw out the Old Testament. He wants to get rid of it. He wants to get rid of all of the the customs, all of the Jewish traditions. And Paul is saying, no, that's not quite it. I embrace all those. But there's a new thing happening because Jesus has come. And so uh, the, the local government has gotten involved, and they're going to take him off to prison. And uh, in verse 37, it says, As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, oh, Do you know Greek? So Paul must have said it in Greek. Can I say something to you? And the tribune is surprised that he knew Greek. He said, Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Which I'm not sure exactly what he's talking about there. Uh, But Paul's like, no. Um, He says, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, 
a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. So right here, Paul says he identifies himself as a Jew and also as a citizen of Tarsus, which was a big... I mean, he, it, it was, it was, he's like saying, hey, no, listen, I'm a Jew and I'm from Boston. Right? This is, this is, a, this is a big... It was a seaport, right? So it was a busy town. Tarsus was well-known. There's a lot of stuff that went on in Tarsus. Um, so he's saying, listen, I'm not... I'm not some nobody. I'm a Jew and I'm from Tarsus. But he's also saying that he's a Roman citizen. So he has certain rights. So he is a Jew. He is from Tarsus. Meaning, I'm not, from, I'm not, I'm not a backwoods guy. I'm from a big city. I'm from an important place. I know a few things. And he's also saying that he's a Roman citizen. Which gives him legal rights. Certain legal rights. And he appeals to those rights in, the, in this letter. Or in, in the last part of Acts. But then he says, um, so he says, can I just say something to these Jews before you take me away? So then he goes from speaking in Greek and then he turns into Hebrew. And he starts addressing the Jews in Hebrew. And they're surprised that he speaks in Hebrew. And he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, They became even more quiet. And he says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. He's in Jerusalem at the time. So he says, hey, I'm from Tarsus, but I was raised here, right in the capital of, of Judaism, of Jerusalem. Not only that, but I studied under Gamaliel. So this would have been like, he, he's, here's, here's basically what he's saying. You guys are saying that I want to throw out the Old Testament. But listen, I'm an Old Testament PhD. And I studied, I don't know where a good Old Testament place is, Brandeis University maybe, I don't know. Uh, and I studied the, the, top, the top professors. And I'm from Boston. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not a nobody. And I was educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are to this day. So he's defending himself against these Jews who say that he wants to throw out the Old Testament. He's saying, no, I am a Jewish scholar and I am a Jew and all my lineage is Jewish. He said, I persecuted this way to the death. Listen, before I became a Christian, before I heard from God, I was dragging people off to prison who were Christians. And I was putting both men and women in prison. Um, And then he gives his testimony. So so here's what he's saying. He's a Jew. He's from Tarsus. He was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel. um, And he's a Roman citizen. Now go to Philippians 3 real quick. So turn... It's after, it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Do you know how to remember that? Go eat popcorn. Or uh, GE Power Company, that's the other one. (laughs) GE, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Philippians 3. So he repeats some of these same things, but here's, here's what he, we get a little more of a clear picture. 
Uh, verse 4, Philippians 3, 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If, anything, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Listen, everybody. I am not trying to throw any of this out. I am. If anyone's a Jew, it's me. Right? I know what I'm talking about. And he was a zealot. Okay, he says he was zealous to the point of persecuting the church. And I don't know if you can relate to this at all. Uh, I don't know what a good parallel would be, like something that just makes you so angry that you could... Right, maybe, maybe if someone was coming after your children, right? That's the kind of zeal that he was feeling against this new sect called Christianity. What is this new teaching? Get this out of here. We need to protect the purity of the Jewish faith. What is this new teaching that's going on? Who is this Jesus? No, drag these people up. Get them out of here. Right? This was his... I mean, he was really, you could call him a, a, a bigot <laughs> against Christians. And he's saying, listen, I have nothing against Judaism. In fact, I was killing in the name of Judaism. That's how zealous I was. All right? So this is Paul. He is a Jew of Jews. He's from no obscure city. And he's a Roman citizen. Um, and this is the guy... That God says, all right. I mean, this is, I, love, I love that God chooses Paul. And why did he choose Paul? Let's go back to Acts. Or what did he choose Paul to do? Uh, let's go to... He gives, his, he gives his story a number of times, but I like in, in chapter 26. Chapter 26 of Acts. You can start in verse 4. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. Um, They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And I now stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. Um, verse 9, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I voted for the death penalty for these people, he says. And I punished them often in all of the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. That would be like at the threat of death, you know, curse the name of Jesus or I'm going to kill you or take your family away or whatever. I tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Here's the story. In this connection, 
I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Makes sense why he was named Saul. Right? Saul was the king Saul, the first king of Israel, uh, was from the tribe of Benjamin. Um, big, big name, big Benjamite name, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand up on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people uh, and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. The Gentiles... These are the people that he is trying to protect his faith from. The infiltration of the Gentiles. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul, I want to give the Gentiles a place among my people. Go and tell them about it. Can, now, can you imagine? This guy has, has been raised and steeped his whole life in protecting the purity of the Jewish people. And God taps him and says, I'm bringing in the Gentiles too. They're to be a part of it. And I want you to go tell them about it. This is an amazing conversion. This is going from killing protect the purity of God's people to his life's mission and work is to tell people about the place that they have in the people of God. Come into the people of God through Jesus. And this is what, from this point on, this is what his life is about. And this is what all of his letters point to. God has, all through the Old Testament, been doing one thing. And Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that one thing. And now, through Jesus, Jews, Gentiles, it's all being fulfilled in Jesus. And I am telling you about that. Jews, guess what? He's here. The one we've been waiting for. Gentiles, guess what that means for you? That you can be a part of it too. And it's now. And it's here. And this is what the book of Romans is about. All right? So, here's, in, in order to not read Romans in that uh, one-liner way, we've got to remember who Paul was, and we also need to remember what Paul was steeped in. Okay? What, what was the story that he spent his whole life studying? And it's the story of the Old Testament. It's, it's, it's the story of God's people. Okay? So... The primary message of Romans, you know, a lot of people point to chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, where he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, 
to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. A lot of people point to that as the summary of Romans, and I think it's a decent one. But I think you get a more full picture of what Paul is doing in the book of Romans if you go to chapter 15. You will understand his lines of thought as he goes through the letter a lot better if you keep this in mind. Chapter 15. Um, start in verse 4. He's starting to sum up the book. I mean, this is close to the end of the book. And he's starting to sum up a lot of the stuff that he has said. Verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. Now, who's one another? Jews and Gentiles. May He grant you to live in harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, here it is. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that's the Jews, that was the, sign, that was the mark of their belonging to the nation of Israel. Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And then he quotes no fewer than four Old Testament passages that reveal that the grand purpose of God always included the Gentiles coming in through Messiah. Okay? Therefore, so he says, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And remember, Gentiles, that doesn't mean uh, like pagans or barbarians. It means nations. It means non-Jewish nations. Okay? Sometimes Gentiles can kind of sound like you know, this, this derogatory term. But it just means non-Jewish, non-Jews. Okay? And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. So bam, 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 bam. In the Old Testament, this is what it's talking about. Okay? And that's his, that's his message to the Romans. This is what God's doing something now, but it's what he's always been doing. And now it makes sense. This was the mystery. But now it makes sense in light of Jesus. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So he was writing so they would be one. And that they would have hope. That's what the message of Romans is. You all with one voice can glorify God. Now I, I, I want to just quickly step through the major chapters of the Old Testament story and show how all of those serve as a backdrop for what Paul is saying in Romans. Okay? So what are the major, what are the major chapters? Right? God creates the world in Genesis and he gives Adam and Eve a commission. He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. So that's the first commission that he gives to mankind. And this is before... Jews were even Jews. I mean, these were just 
man and woman. That was it. (laughs) There weren't even any nations or anything. So in Genesis 3, first book of the Bible, Genesis 3, there's this verse that says this. This is part of the curse after they disobey God. I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent who deceived Eve and she ate the fruit. I will put enmity between you, snake, and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So Paul, as a Jew, had an expectation that the seed of a woman would eventually crush Satan. He would have his, he'd bruise his heel and he would crush Satan's head. Okay? Now go, go to Romans 16.20. Well, uh, let me say this. On the way to, to Romans 16.20, all of Romans 5 is a discussion of Jesus as the second Adam. That the first Adam brought sin into the world. The second Adam is bringing righteousness into the world. But listen to this. Listen to this. You're going to love this. 1620. Uh, For your obedience is known to all, so that I will rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Genesis 3.15. It's happening now. The seed of woman has come. His name is Jesus. And now in him, you as the people of God are crushing Satan under your feet. It's being fulfilled. And this is an Old Testament thing. Okay? So that's Adam. That's the gospel, the, the, the commission of Adam. Now, the next big chapter would be Abraham. God called Abraham, and this is where the Jewish nation really is born. God calls Abraham, and what does he tell Abraham to do? This is in chapter 12 of Genesis. It's in 12 and 15 and 17. It's the, the God's covenant with Abraham. And this is what every Jew was absolutely, I mean, this was at the heart of what they believed. That God was blessing, and here, here's what it is. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In chapter 15, he says, look at the stars, so shall your offspring be. And this is in chapter 15 where it says, and Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness, which is something we see over and over in the book of Romans. In chapter 17, it's where circumcision comes in to play. It becomes the mark of the people of God. Um, Verse 4, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And you could easily just say, a multitude of Gentiles. (laughs) Right? 
And kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Right? I will make of you a great nation, and in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So this was the great hope and desire of every Jew. Now, if you've read the Old Testament, you know that it was just failure after disappointment after failure after disappointment, trying to figure out what this means, thinking we're the blessed people, but not living up to that blessing. Jesus comes to set that right. So, in Romans 4... He says, what shall we say was gained by Abraham, our, fa- our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Um, verse 12, or verse 11, chapter 4. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So he's saying, listen, circumcision, that was a a symbol of a deeper thing that God wanted, which was a, a... total and personal and intimate relationship with him. And that's what Abraham had with him. And circumcision was just a a sign of that relationship that God had with Abraham. He said, and that's the kind of relationship I want with everyone, Jews and Gentiles. Uh, We'll we'll talk more about that as we go through Romans. But but Abraham here is absolutely, is a big part of the discussion in Romans. So Adam, Abraham, Moses, you can go read Deuteronomy 30. It would be good. But chapters 5 and 6, and, and this is in the Old Testament, it says, God will circumcise your heart. This is back in Deuteronomy 30. And there's this, this sense that, you know, circumcision, and it's, it's, it's bizarre to even talk about that as like a, a sign of, of your relationship with God. But he's saying, listen, it's about the heart. God wants to cut through everything that separates you from him. And in your heart of hearts, that's where he wants to meet. And so circumcision is just a symbol that the most intimate and personal parts of, of who we are, in our very hearts, that's where God wants to meet with us. That's what makes us his. So that's in Deuteronomy 30. And here in Romans 10, verse 5. Um, so we're talking about, sorry. Adam, Abraham, now we're talking about Moses, which is the next major chapter. Through Moses comes the the law, the Torah, the code. And this was the law that all the Pharisees were zealous about. This is what Paul would have known inside and out. The law, the law of Moses, with all of its purification rules and all of its moral code and everything. And he says, Moses writes about the righteousness that was based upon the law that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith 
says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. And that's a quote from Deuteronomy 30. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. So he's saying, listen, even Moses testifies to the fact that it's not about circumcision, which is what the big argument was. Do we cause Gentiles to, to become circumcised? No, because that has never even been the point, is what Paul's saying. Even in the Old Testament, the point was that our hearts would belong to God. Go read Deuteronomy, people. Right? That's what, that's what Paul is saying. I don't want to overthrow the law. Go back and look at it. It says what I'm talking about. All right? Finally, uh, David. And David, the covenant with David. So we have the covenant with Adam, covenant with Abraham, covenant with Moses. That's through the law. That's in Exodus 19 when, uh, on, on Mount Sinai. The final covenant that we talk about is, is David. And this is where he promises David. So up until Saul, who was king before David, they didn't have a king. Then they wanted a king. And so Saul didn't work out. And then David became king. And he says, listen, you're a man after my heart. This is the kind of man I want on the throne. So I'm going to make a covenant with you, David. And that's in 2 Chronicles 17. I'm going to make a covenant with you. Sorry, 1 Chronicles 17. Verse 11. Here's his covenant with David. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. So the covenant with David was a kingly covenant. That I am going to have a man on the throne that comes from your lineage, David. Well, how does the book of Romans open up? Right there in the, in the, in the opening verse. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Really, that means the anointed king Jesus. That's what Christ means, the anointed king. So every Jew... When they heard Christ, or Messiah, which is the, the Hebrew word Christ, they heard the anointed king, like David. That's what that word carries with it for, for a Jewish hearer. Paul, a servant of Jesus, the anointed king, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture, concerning his son, who is descended from David, according to the flesh. He's the one. He's the king. So the most glaringly obvious place where we see that, and this is not just in Romans, but is in his title as Christ. <laughs> that means anointed king. He is the Christ. David was the Christ. After him, Solomon was the Christ. Whoever was anointed king was Messiah. And they were waiting for that king to arise again. And Jesus is that king. Um, final verse here, and this, this falls in line with this idea of, of Jesus as, as the, the fulfillment of the covenant to David, 15:12. Again, Isaiah says, "The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and him will the Gentiles hope." 
Okay? So, that's a, just a flyover of the Old Testament. All of the major chapters of Old Testament, the Old Testament story are relevant to our reading of Romans. So as you're reading through, remember, Adam, Abraham, Moses, David. And listen, listen to this, what, what Paul says in verse 14 of chapter 15. So here's some, uh, here's some final instructions as we, as we really dig into the book. By the way, as we're studying, I recommend reading it through as many times as you can each week. Right? Maybe you get to it, read it a whole time through every week, maybe two or three times every week. But as soon as you get to the end, just go back to the beginning. Get the, get the big picture as much as you can, from the beginning of the letter to the end. And that will really help you. Um, so here's an interesting verse, and, and we'll close with this. 1514, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified in the Holy Spirit. What's he saying there? What I've just written to you, it's not everything. You guys know all the basics already. What's in my letter is the, the, the parts of the story, the, the missing links that you need in order to, to, to complete your understanding of what God has done in Jesus. So to hear, he's, he's himself telling us that Romans is not a systematic exposition of his full doctrine. It is a supplement to what they already had, which was a knowledge of the Old Testament, a knowledge of the covenants, an expectation, all of that. He said, you, I, I, I'm confident. You have knowledge. You're able to teach each other. Now listen, plug what I'm telling you in, and you're going to have the full picture. You're going to see it. So what does that tell us? We need to always have in our heads as we read Romans this backdrop that he's talking about. And if you pay attention to those four main chapters and keep those in mind as you read... It'll start to go from two-dimensional and one-liners, and it'll just it'll go three-dimensional for you. You go, wow. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, because it's, it's, when you grow up in church, you hear a lot of the one-liners from Romans. And then you start to study it in light of the story of the Old Testament, the covenants being fulfilled in Jesus. And you just go, oh, man. Especially coming out of Acts, seeing what Paul's real drive was. No, I'm not throwing out the Old Testament. This is what it's been saying. And that's what he's trying to say here in, here in the book of Romans. This is what we've been waiting for all along, is his big argument. That is the, that's the message of Romans. Guys, this is what we have been waiting for all along. It's good news for you Jews. It means all these promises are fulfilled. That we are the people of God. And Gentiles, you know what that means for you? You have hope. You belong. In Christ Jesus, there's a place for you among this people. And guess what? You don't even have to get circumcised. (laughs) Hope, yes. Uh, So that's what Romans, that's what the book of Romans is is about. Um, So again, I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness, to show that God didn't change. God worked his plan from beginning to end perfectly. 
And it, and it ended in Jesus. It, it, and in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. That's it. That is the, that is the thesis of the book of Romans. God did it all in Jesus. All the Jewish expectation, it's in Jesus. And that's good news for the Gentiles. Hallelujah. Uh, and so we'll get into the book. We'll go, we'll have to spend maybe three more weeks in Romans. We'll take it chunk by chunk. Probably do like one through four or one through five next week. Uh, but read through the whole book because it all matters. It all, it's all one long uh, argument. So my question for you is, um, do you realize that as Gentiles, and I don't, I don't think there's any uh, ethnic Jews in here. Maybe there are. I don't know. I don't think there are. Uh, but we're Gentiles. And we have been included into the people of God through Jesus Christ. And that's still our message. Our message is that Jesus came. Here's the gospel. This is the gospel that, that Paul says it's the power of God for salvation. Here it is. Jesus Christ is God. Made flesh. God became a man. And in doing so, the whole story from creation all the way to the coming of Jesus, all those promises that God made to Abraham, everything that he was trying to get at through his law, his promise to David, it all came to a head in Jesus. God's plan all along was to bless a family, to bless them so that in that family, all the nations of the earth would be blessed, would receive salvation. Guess what? Jesus is the descendant of that family. God has blessed him, has raised him up, and in Jesus, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so it's in the name of Jesus. And so he came, he died at the hands of his own people. God raised him up to confirm that, no, this, this is what I was looking for. This is what I'm looking for. And if you will receive the life of Jesus by the Holy Spirit, you can live like him. And you can be my people. And just like Jesus laid down his life and was a blessing to the whole earth, Jews and Gentiles, you too can be blessed and be filled in him, be filled with all the goodness of Jesus, and go out and, and live the same kind of life that he lived. And guess what? That brings blessing into the earth. You become a, a channel of God's very life into the earth. And that's the gospel. That you can do that. That's, always what, that's what you were always created to do. Reflect the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of that. But in Jesus, you can once again shine in the way that you live, in the things that you do, in the thoughts that you think. You can shine in, in the same way that Jesus shone. With the glory of God. And people will be blessed in that. Uh, there's, a, there's a little more to it. We'll, we'll, we'll keep reading, right? You need to die to yourself and be raised with the life of Jesus. So what it means is you need to turn from sin. Be buried in baptism and be raised up with the life of Jesus. If you were born, this is what I, you know, when people say, I can't help it, I was born this way. Exactly. That's what we're trying to say. That's what we need to be born again. Right? 
Whatever it is, whatever your sin is that you feel bound to, God's saying, turn from that. Be buried in baptism, and I will raise you and fill you with my life. And you will not be subject to that sin anymore. You will look different. You will live different. You'll think different. And that's what, that's what Romans describes, that process. But it's all part of this grand story that started with Adam, continued through Abraham, and found its fulfillment in Jesus. Uh, so that's what we... That's really an introduction to all of Paul's letters. Uh, we'll tackle Romans first. But as we go, this is the same stuff that just keeps coming up over and over and over. Um, all right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, your servant, Paul, and for the, uh, uh, for the truth that he, uh, that really he, he gave his life, he laid his life down to establish in the churches. And thank you that we can receive it, that we can get into the word and, and by the Holy Spirit, we can be filled with your life, Jesus. So as we go this week, I pray that you would uh, open our eyes, Lord, to, to behold the wonders in your word. And uh, let us become more like you, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit. Transform us uh, into your image. In Jesus' name, amen.